0: the real finale of this season of bell curve. This is the episode with just Miles and I went miles and I will be recap the, the big themes of the season miles. Uh, it's been a fun season, man. This has been, this has been a ton of fun for me. Learned a lot. Learned a lot.
1: It has, it has, it's been fun, you know, definitely not uneventful. Um, but you know, in terms of things that we, uh, may have thought might've happened and, and a lot of things that we had no idea what would happen as we saw this week. Um, but you know building goes on so. it does it does well you know we're, we're it feels a little funny to
0: be talking about this as you know we yeah th- it, we're recording yes. this on march 12th of 23 and we just had usdc dpeg and all this crazy stuff but you know i think what what's important here is just to, to focus on what what actually happened during during this season and uh you know i think one of the one of the th- Kind of unique things that happened during the season towards the tail end, which forced us to kind of retailer our last two episodes, was I think we did see the AppChain thesis validated in a pretty big way, in that it actually kind of migrated off of just Cosmos, uh, and we saw it, you know, go into Ethereum. Uh, we already were kind of planning on talking about that the season with the Ethereum and Cosmos sort of collision course, but this was validated in a much more explicit way with a lot with the sort of rebrand of optimism to the super chain and then we also saw seeds of the app chain thesis sort of playing out on, or bitcoin and, and cosmos kind of coming together so we kind of had it validated for us about halfway through the season
1: yeah got a little lucky there um but at the same time i think that there were a lot of folks building towards this vision in ethereum when we started mm. i don't think this was an idea that came out of nowhere um but hearing a few of the biggest projects come out and really through product announcements, right? Um, giving us some concrete information on what you know, they're building towards and hearing that it's much closer to uh, a future of app-specific environments, uh, you know, rather than these basically just L1s that are being recreated at the roll-up level, um, which didn't make a lot of sense to either of us. And it, you know, that that is a lot of you know, big reason of why we did this show. Um, and and to hear that optimism is building towards this, you know, we we brought on the slush guys with the call on. Um, they're building towards, you know, app specific L3s on Starknet. Um, we brought on Sovereign Labs, who's building you know sovereign rollups that are going to be app specific on Celestia. I think just hearing kind of these common themes across all different sorts of stacks and in the ecosystems um we didn't even touch on Polygon and, you know, Avalanche and Polkadot, but they've been building towards this as well. Uh so yeah, we I think I think it was in in many ways, you know, great to hear a lot of the biggest projects come out and be really vocal about this and and, you know, sort of validate what we've been talking about, but in a very different way. Yeah,
0: Yeah. absolutely. So what we're going to do, I think, uh, during this episode is basically just rehash some of the themes that you and I laid out at the beginning of this season and that we explored in more depth as we were going through the various episodes, the, the seven episodes that we, we recorded together this season. So maybe just starting off with, I think, the probably one of the most important ones that we laid out at the beginning and we asked basically everyone this entire season was this idea of the spectrum right so the kind of full stack app chain over here on the left then there's the roll app that's up like a kind of layer three roll app solution on ethereum and then in the middle like a more modular roll-up architecture like Celestia and you and I were approaching this from the perspective of a product maximalist right so what uh, kind of trade-offs do you have to make from the perspective of an app chain builder, right? If you own everything, the entire full stack over here all the way on the left, or if you surrender, say, consensus or data availability or settlement or something over here on the the kind of roll app layer. So, you know, let's just start at a high level. Like, what did you sort of, uh, did you kind of change your mind about anything after our interviews this season? Like, what are your kind of thoughts from a a product standpoint on that, on that spectrum? Yeah,
1: I think, I think, one of my most direct questions that I think we gave a few times was what are things that a, you know, independent validator set can do for your product that a sequencer set could not. Um, And I'm not sure if we got the most direct answer that, you know, we, we would have liked all season. Um, But my gut just based off of everything we heard from folks is that it's not from, a, from the BD perspective of the app chain, it's not that much harder to stand up your own independent validator set than it is to stand up your own independent, you know, distributed sequencer set. And I don't think the hardware costs of a sequencer set are that much different than an independent validator set. I think that if you're going to stand up your own sequencer set um, or validator set, you might as well do it with your own validator set. I, Cause I, I just don't think the differences are that, are, are, are that big. I think the big difference is that if you're standing up a sequencer, um, if, or if you're standing up a rollup, you're, it's much easier to basically secure that sequencer set or your environment with an existing, you know, layer one token than it is to secure, uh, an independent validator set with your with new native staking token. I think that most rollups will either plug into a single sequencer or a shared sequencer network that in that shared sequencer network will secure itself through, you know, a third token. It won't be the token of your roll-up. It won't it might be the token of that shared sequencer network, but I have a sense that it's more likely going to be the token of the L1, like ETH, um, or a mix. Uh, and and I think that that's where it comes down to. So I think that if you're going to go the roll up route, I don't think I think the, the what you're you're opting for is for your network to be secured by, you know, a a, th- a third token. Basically, not the token of the sequencer set, not the token of your rollup, but of the L1 itself. Um, that's just, you know, where I see the puck is going with with Eigenlayer and and um, also what we see, you know, out of some of the Cosmos area. So I don't think that there's that much of a difference. I do think that, you know, you can get more out of for your product if you had your own independent validator set than you could do if you had your own independent sequencer set if that makes sense
0: and for exactly what that is i think it would be good for listeners if you're interested in going back and getting some of that detail i think it's probably best to to kind of hear from from dave oha and sunny i think sunny was the episode that was the kickoff of the season that he got kind of deep into the weeds on and those are both the founders of osmosis obviously yeah
1: and 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 I, i would just i would just add there aiden from the last episode um From Stride, which is, you know, a relatively new uh, full stack, you know, sovereign um, app chain in Cosmos, they have a hundred validators in their active set, but they had a thousand validators, right? They were in their test net asking to be active set validators. Um, So the demand is there. I'm not saying that demand is scalable to thousands of app chains. I'm saying it's there today. Um, but at the same time, Stride is now moving to, you know, being secured by the Hubs validator set, right? They're not, and they're not doing that because of a lack of validators wanting to validate their chain or the cost of those validators. They're doing that because by moving to the Hubs validator set, they inherit the security of a major market cap token, which is billions of dollars of security versus their current security, which is in the tens of millions of dollars. And that's the harder part. It's not finding the people to run the hardware. It's not even paying the people to run the hardware. It's the value of that security, that, of the what is securing your chain, basically. I think that's the challenging part. Yeah, I agree. So
0: within that, and one thing that I also think is is important to take this particular moment in time, You know, I think when we recorded this series, we were at call it peak, Modular scaling uh, in terms of consensus, because obviously, you know, Ethereum's roadmap—they're the clear winner. Let's call it in the generalized L1 sort of ecosystem. I think there's a lot of consensus around both Ethereum as an asset and an ecosystem, but also as their their roadmap. Their roadmap kind of making sense, and they embraced kind of the modular approach to scaling. That being said. Um, there probably are some, it's just, it's just very early, but there definitely are some benefits, right. To owning your own security budget, you know, later down the line. Um, and we just, we just don't know what those, what those are. So it might be tough to, again, maybe it's not the BD work or the cost of getting those validators for you, but maybe the hard thing, right, is kind of the cold start problem of not having the economic value to secure your network in the beginning. But you could imagine over a greater span of time, if you have the ability to do that, to you know wait a little bit lower, uh, wait a little bit longer right in terms of building that up and owning it yourself, there might be benefits down the line. but you know I think it's a little too early to you know really talk about what those are.
1: Yeah, I think there's some really exper- uh, interesting exper- uh, experiments out there um, that are looking at, okay, if we can split up the security of our chain by saying we're going to have one token secure X percent of our chain, and another token secure Y% percent of our chain. And maybe you start off by having, you know, E3 staking secure most of your chain or all of it, but over time move towards, you know, more and more of your chain being secured by your own staking token. Um, and this is something that we're doing with with mesh security as well, where you can basically decide, you know, how much of your tendermint power or how much of, you know, your your, chain security you're going to afford to another chain's staking token and how much you're going to afford to those that will restake to your chain um and you could you know potentially have a situation where over time you you basically own your you know start with a small percentage of your chain that you're securing with your own token but move towards owning your entire security budget and having that control but only doing so when you know your your coin is at a market cap that can you know responsibly secure that chain.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Let's talk about um, another big concept that we kind of continuously referred to throughout the course of the season, which was this idea of aggregation theory, or maybe said a little bit differently, is the proximity to the the customer, the consumer, the user having an enormous amount of leverage. I think in general. Uh, Sunny kind of laid that out again in the beginning of the first the uh, first season first episode of the season, and then again we dove really deep into it with Sam Hart and and Zachy during that second episode. For me, I got I got pretty red pilled about this about this idea. It makes an enormous amount of sense to me that if you have access to users, that's going to be an enormous amount of of leverage. That frankly, we haven't had a lot of in crypto yet. I think a really interesting experiment that's going to play out, and probably you know. Put this in the forefront of people's minds is base and Coinbase moving a whole bunch of their users onto their own layer two. So overall, I think it's good. And the you know I think this also kind of played into when we were talking about in the MEV episode, right? And I think people are kind of waking up to the the influence that wallets are going to have in the MEV ecosystem and the order flow auctions that take place in an earlier part of the value chain. But I'm not sure what to say other than I, I do think that. More demand-based styles of investing and and kind of proximity to the consumer is going to be a much bigger part in crypto moving forward. I think I think Cosmos have been talking about that for a while, and they've been exactly right.
1: I would say that Uniswap is making a really interesting, almost counter argument to the Cosmos approach with their wallet. Um, and I and I do see these these super apps either being you know app-specific chains that start with one killer app and then expand horizontally within their own app specific chain or maybe an app that builds a wallet um and captures the user with a combination of their brand and wallet like uniswap um and then aggregates you know either or aggregates or you know acquires you know in some way gives the users access to, to more and more products, you know, horizontally. Um, and you know, I get the sense that Uniswap at this point probably is not going to build its own chain. I could be wrong. Um, but they're moving very aggressively towards the wallet being the, you know, the single point of, of interaction with the user and, I think that that's one approach. I think that, you know, with osmosis and other app chains, that is where you are, you know, the the application is almost synonymous with the wallet with Kepler. Um, and they're pulling as many other, you know, sort of use cases into their app chain as possible um, without diluting the quality of the block space um and also going to the users where they are with their own wallets right i think at the end of the day osmosis is is moving into like metamask it's moving into other wallets um and they don't necessarily think of you know the user relationship with the wallet they think of it with the app um whereas uniswap i think is admitted that The user relationship is with the wallet. That's why they're going to go and compete with, um, you know, MetaMask. They're going to compete with Coinbase. They're going to compete with OpenSea on the wallet front. Um, So, yeah, I think whether the super app is an app chain with a ton of different products that live on the same chain um, or whether the super app is a wallet that connects to lots of different apps is still TBD. Um, I think that is, you know, probably one of those questions that's impossible to answer after the season, but we heard a lot of really interesting perspectives that helped us think about it.
0: Yeah. I agree with that. It's still, you know, MetaMask is obviously the dominant wallet today, but there are again, uh, Coinbase, you know, they've got their CB wallet, which with the, uh, with the launch of base could be pretty interesting together. It's very early
1: days for the Uniswap wallet one other thing just metamask and argent i think are together because metamask and argent are and phantom maybe are wallet providers right their their main product is a wallet and they're offering access agnostically to this app store of of different you know products right where everybody else that we've been talking about whether it's coinbase or uniswap um you know, uh, OpenSea, right? They all started with an app and they're moving to the wallet, which I think is an interesting distinction. You know, it will be be interesting to see if the winning wallets end up being these apps. I I also think that account abstraction will impact this whole landscape significantly. I think we'll have, you know, Coinbase's wallet as a service announcement this week give kind of a sneak peek into this, right? where, you know, this whole idea of a wallet provider is very TBD if it will be around um, because each application could just be, you know, your own account on that application that you're using, you know, whatever sort of verification process you want, whatever sort of existing application infrastructure you, or wallet infrastructure you want. I just, I think that this is all, you know, it's still very early, but um, I would I would pay attention to I think account abstraction is one piece of this, you know, app chain thesis question that we didn't really get into. Um, You
0: know what else in terms of, what do you think? You know, I used to think of blockchain.com. I actually think they are one of the largest wallet (laughs) providers. I think of them more as, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you hit their, if you hit their website, they, I remember they used to advertise themselves more like this, but the world's most popular crypto wallet, over 86 million wallets created I Think of them more as kind of an exchange to be honest, uh, and more of like OTC and and kind of an extender of credit. But I they I definitely remember they they used to advertise themselves that way a lot, yeah, but.
1: yeah. I mean, we we talked about it on the um the optimism episode, we talked about uh BNB a little bit, but we didn't talk about crypto.com and you know, Crow, right? Uh, Crow is a pretty, I think one of the largest Cosmos app chains. Um, we didn't talk about OKX, which also has a Cosmos app chain. Um, yeah, so yeah, stay stay wary of these, you know, centralized exchanges, just basically making themselves obsolete because that was their mission from the beginning.
0: It's definitely interesting.
1: Um,
0: let's move on to something that you and I talked about a lot. And I think Zachy. Zaki directly asked this question at the last, at the end of the second episode of the season, but I want to talk about this idea of the minimum viable stack. So well, you know, one of the only SDKs that kind of has product market fit or escape velocity is the, the cosmos SDK. And that's sort of an SDK with building of full stack app chains in mind, right? You've got. Tendermint as a form of consensus, kind of out of the box consensus, you've got IBC, that's an enormous part of that as well. So that's that kind of interchain communication. Um, one of the things that I think we were kind of interested in getting an understanding of the season. And for me, this remains one of the biggest questions is what are, what is the minimum viable stack kind of look like for, let's say a modular sort of rollup. And then what are the, what are the network effects going to be that accrue to the most successful kind of SDK that gets built? And I think that, you know, I'm very interested in getting that question answered. We sort of dug into it a little bit. Um, the episode with with Kalman, but I think there, that that was still an unanswered question for me, at least at
1: this point. I think so. Um, I think this is probably the most. Um, I think everybody who is writing off the Cosmos stack, you know, now that everybody is caught up on the AppChain vision and saying that you know Ethereum will out execute and out distribute. I think. You know they have a lot of valid points but i also think that a lot of people are underestimating you know the network effects of ibc and of the shared you know stack in terms of the sdk um, i think that there's a chance that all these efforts will be you know to make a competing stack will be fragmented to the point that none of them are quite have those you know network effects that the sdk does right now and i think it's basically like if you're going to do the full stack which cosmos sdk did then you need a consensus and networking engine out of the box which tendermint gives you um but for these other stacks you don't need that so the minimum the mvp of you know an app chain stack is much smaller as you go across that spectrum right um i think the what you need at the very least though is interoperability and execution um and you need i think we're seeing with with optimism we're talking you know it's, it's a lot about shared sequencers um to be able to recreate the benefits of ibc and interchain accounts within you know across roll-ups it's shared rpcs um we've we've heard a little bit about that um which which again, I think a lot of these things are creating walled gardens a little bit within each other versus something as generalized as IPC. Um, and then I think, which, you know, still I'm digging into, but the use of ZKs with, with sovereign rollups um, and, and the, the sovereign SDK stack, I think it's, it's is interesting and in getting closer to um, what IPC can recreate, but yeah, I, I think that this one is going to be really hard to answer um, and really hard. It's it's just really hard to compare um, until there is, you know, another competitor out there to the Cosmos SDK stack. I think that nothing has come close at this point. The OP stack and I think Sovereign Labs could be, you know, two of the first slush SDK. You know, there's there's all these components where you need... You know, a lot of mind share. You need Um, a lot of applications that are interacting with each other to really battle test the and and prove out demand for the interoperability tools that will eventually come. Um, So, yeah, this one's been tough because it's hard to say what the minimum viable stack is and if there is a competitor to the Cosmos SDK, you know, before there is any competitor to it from an app chain stack, you know, perspective.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. It was, it was interesting during that episode with Preston and common to get into the, the business model a little bit of, of the SDK, which was definitely something that I wasn't super familiar with. And obviously the vast, the whole point kind of is that it's open source and available for any of the developers that want to build, but there are kind of, there's a white glove, you know, kind of service offering and a whole bunch of other stuff that you can actually charge for, which I thought was pretty cool. I always love to understand. How people make money. Oh, there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. I
1: think that we also underestimate, um, you know, a lot of the things in the background, like, the, like a block explorer, you know, if the mint scan by Cosmos station has been fantastic, um, in supporting basically every single new IBC chain that, that pops up. But that does that is very, very hard to recreate. You know that is an enormous validator in the cosmos network that has a lot of incentives to to build and sustain something like that. Um, anything like that for a new network is going to have to be a public good, basically. Um, and those things are really important, you know whether it's that or whether it's, you know, validator sequencer monitoring tools, like all these things that we fund out of the Osmosis Grants Program that are specifically for either the SDKs furtherment or for to help validators. Um, You know, it it takes a lot of people that want this service to, you know, rationalize it to be funded as a public good. Um, And I think that a lot of these networks will, Begin to realize just you know how many folks they need helping them um, in order to stand these things up.
0: Yeah, public goods. That's that's something we dug into uh, last season actually. In our our season of governance, we had a great uh, episode with um, Nick from from ENS, and yeah, that was interesting to hear his thoughts on public goods funding. I want to talk to you a little bit about MEB. I mean, the MEV episode was a personal favorite of mine. Actually, I loved all the episodes this season, but I thought that one, we really dug into some pretty creative and interesting ideas. I do think this, one of the, one of the big differences for MEV when it comes to Cosmos, one of the things that I was interested in going into it is there's a, there's a product aspect of MEV, which is you kind of laid out in that episode, the three perfect solutions, right for what MEV should be. It's, you know, protecting the user from harmful forms of MEV. There's redirecting funds to the protocol. So that kind of protorep module on osmosis and then avoiding centralization. So I think one of the, the interesting things about MEV when it comes to Cosmos, you can have kind of an opinion on how MEV, where MEV, how, where and how MEV should be distributed. One thing that I really thought very differently about actually kind of after that episode, and even this whole season was, I always thought of MEV as a way to capture some of the value that you that you generate um, from from your pro and there's a big economic incentive. I kind of now view MEV as it's one of the uh it's an inevitable consequence of the way these systems are constructed. And the it's not like you go and launch an app chain to capture a whole bunch of value, but instead it's it's always there it's it's more of a byproduct of the way these systems are constructed and then there's a way that makes sense to distribute that value and then there's like a bad kind of dystopian way that you can end up redistributing that value as well so i don't know what did, what did you think about the the discussion around MEB this season
1: um so i think there was and you know, until we brought Nitesh from dflow on and, and talked to him a little bit i didn't think a lot about the separation of um, you know Order flow from block space and, and and how those actually could be two separate but complementary auctions, right, um, where you capture the order flow from the wallet, but at the same time, the buyers of that order flow need to bid for the ability to settle it and capture the opportunity by buying the block space, right? And so then you could have two separate auctions, where you have an auction at the wallet level and you have an auction at the block space level. Um, kind of led me to believe that you know it, to to truly realize this full vision of when people say you know you're moving to your own app chain so you can capture MEV. I think to if if you're actually serious about that, you would need to own the wallet and the app chain. Um, to own all of the mev and i I don't think that's realistic for any app um and so you know i think that that's probably overblown um i think that order flow auctions at the wallet level and basically giving back all atomic mev to the user um is going to be a thing but there is still a ton of value to block space auctions um and there's a ton of value to being an app chain and controlling, you know, how the value of those block space auctions are distributed because, you know, you're not on some general purpose chain with the, you know, validators who are not interested, you know, are aligned with you, right? Or the ones that are receiving that value. So I think that came away thinking that there's still an enormous amount of value um, today in being able to be opinionated about the ordering of your block space, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I do think in a couple of years that there will be a delineation between, you know, order flow auctions coming from the wallet versus block space auctions that app chains can be really opinionated about. Um, It will be interesting to see, you know, who has the leverage there between the wallets and the apps.
0: That's a very good uh, takeaway. Natasha was great on that episode, and I actually thought the point that he made in closing as well—that is probably going to be bigger and bigger—is when the SEC and various regulatory bodies start looking at these, the way MEV works and these protocols. You know, what definitions do they have around best execution that are going to inform the way that MEV works, as opposed to. Hey, like let's all decide as a community here where this where this uh MEV flows to. You know, I think even outside of economic forces and sort of community and social forces, there's definitely gonna be a regulatory uh, yeah. component here as yeah. well. Yeah. So yeah, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. You yeah. tend
0: to get involved. I think so. Um now let let's talk a little bit about. I mean, the last the last two episodes were basically is something that we were getting at, at the opening, but it was, a, it was a big idea that we wanted to explore in the beginning of you know when we first launched this season which this collision course uh, as we saw between cosmos and ethereum obviously in a lot of ways the app chain thesis was app chain thesis was validated by not that it needed to be validated by ethereum but uh yeah we're seeing it play out you know in a pretty in a pretty frankly interesting and exciting way on optimism with their, their whole rebranding of the super chain I'd be curious be curious what you've what you kind of think about this gut opinions as well, but yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, um, I think that we're starting as the beginning stages. I think they're, they're laying, they're laying the foundations again. We're not like uh, base itself is not an app chain, you know, optimism mainnet. It's not an app chain. I think that there could be a slight nuance, um, between the two visions where I think I've heard, you know, just from what I'm seeing on Ethereum, it looks like they could be going for something like the L2s are general purpose, uh, but the L3s are app chains. And so you you almost launch as an L, like within that general purpose environment, basically what used to be thought of as an L1, uh, you know, within L2. And then eventually you take the users with you to your own L3. Um, So that might be one nuance versus having, you know, very vertical l2s each that are their own app um so that's one two i think that it's unclear whether the interoperability standards are going to be siloed within these you know um uh, networks like op the op network versus the stark network network right so is the bridge between optimism chains l2s l3s whatever and starknet l 2s l three is going to be more similar to like the jump from ethereum to solana or is it going to be more similar to the jump from you know an l2 to an l2 or or maybe say like a cosmos chain to a cosmos chain i think that's going to take time um so i think you'll see uh, interoperability standards within each existing network you know solidified and then over time maybe see ibc something like that come in to connect you know the different roll-up networks um so yeah i I think there's some nuance that they're taking learnings from from cosmos and saying you know we're not going to build everything from scratch um but we do have a good sense of like what are the foundations you need to lay down to build a network like this, like an internet of rollups. We heard internet of rollups from, you know, Celestia. We heard internet of blockchains from Cosmos. And I forget what the optimism thing is, but it's something like, you know, super chain uh, of chains. Yeah, super chain.
0: Yeah, it's, I think the the risk, not that there has to be, I I you know, I'm very supportive of, of all kind of ecosystems here. Although we did, you yeah. know, we ended up spending, I know you, uh, with your work at every spend a lot of time in the cosmos ecosystem. And you know, I, I really found myself rooting for, for cosmos this season as well, just in, in doing this season. I think maybe the risk right now is I think cosmos has known for a long time that their ideas were on track <laughs> and correct. I think the risk now is kind of in being out, out executed by Ethereum or to tie it back to that, that idea that you and I have been talking about being product maximalists, I think Cosmos has done a great job of being product maximalists. The thing is, there's kind of this saying, right? For at least founders is first time founders, think about product. Second time founders think about distribution. And I do think Ethereum's done a little bit better in terms yeah. of distribution. So,
1: Yeah. I will say on the two biggest risks to Cosmos, um, Being, I, I love Cosmos. I think that, you know, they trip themselves up sometimes on execution and they don't think about distribution enough um so we'll say on the execution side uh everything happens within governance with cosmos uh the full stack for every app chain um and it gets very messy and there are a lot of voices and a lot of um i would say you know potentially conflicts of interests um and it's very difficult to do everything within one forum of governance um on the ethereum side there are governance you know is is fragmented across many layers of the stack right and so each governance forum is at least with stakeholders that are all within you know focused on that same layer of the stack right you don't have like Aave doesn't have validators arguing with app developers, right? Like Osmosis does. Um, you have only people that are focused on the app are focused on the governance of that app. Whereas validators and middleware providers are focused on their specific section, right? And I think that this is worth talking about because um, I mentioned in the first episode of the season like that the execution risk happens through everything being in governance you know, in the same <laughs> governance forum um, on the Cosmos side, I think that Cosmos's second biggest risk is distribution. Um, I think that there is a sort of you know disruptor versus incumbent dynamic here, where Osmosis or I'm sorry, Cosmos does have the right ideas, um, but they have to get to distribution before Ethereum realizes that they had those right ideas and and recreates them and executes on them. Um, in the same way, that a startup, right. Would need to basically out get to distribution before the incumbent realizes that they can build the same product and, and get, or at least something close to the same product. Right. Um, and so I do think that, yeah, I think that basically realizing that distribution is the number one focus for cosmos getting retail flow is the number one focus, you know, is probably the biggest risk, um. Because I don't know, I think that, you know, it's a very ideological community still, um, which is, which is great, which is the reason that they've continued building, you know, through every single bear market for the last, you know, five years, seven years. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's my general takeaway.
0: I agree with that. I agree with that. And, you know, the, the good news is people love to. Root, root for an underdog. Not that Cosmos necessarily is an underdog, but I think there's an enormous amount of consensus around around Ethereum right now. And uh, you know, the history of of crypto and blockchain would say like be be wary when enormous amount of consensus forms around something, because uh, usually it means that there's something else new and exciting that's about to come kick your butt. So, um, and and speaking of speaking of exactly exactly that dynamic, uh, let's talk about the that last episode that we did, which was again a ton of fun, just talking about the way that. Uh, Cosmos and Bitcoin might intersect in the future, yeah. so you know basically taking through we 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 spoke to um, kind of the roll kit we got the roll kit kind of perspective and then the Babylon chain perspective both sort of different solutions uh, in terms of what the impact on Bitcoin block space is going to be but it's basically finding a way to write uh, you know read and write onto directly onto Bitcoin block space and in the case of Babylon it's kind of a checkpointing system where you get the timestamp. And uh, that can, you can kind of help secure Cosmos chains that way. And then there's the the role kit, which is basically using data availability on Bitcoin, which is, um, it has a larger footprint, right? Which could be pros and cons, right? It's definitely still limited in terms of what it can do for performance on the app chain side of things. but. Potentially, if Bitcoin were to change its mind and really start inviting a, a stuff that that uh, you know will improve its kind of security budget, then that could be good as well. But I did think the mashup of Bitcoin and Cosmos was a very intellectually interesting one, and I think there's definitely a lot of merit there.
1: Yeah, I love it for a lot of different reasons, right? Because Bitcoin is what we call like the original app app chain. Um, but I also I would draw the parallel to. Um, Rollups, you know, are to Ethereum as like the uh, roll kit is, to, you know, the, the sovereign roll, sovereign Bitcoin rollup uh, through the roll kit is, is to Bitcoin. But at the same time, you can also just export the security of your network without necessarily using it for settlement um, or using it like. Well, uh, wait, one second. Oh. I think
0: that the difference there being is there's no trust minimized bridge. For the roll kit on Bitcoin,
1: right? Right, right. But you're also sending literally all data down to Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You're not just checkpointing, you know, headers every five hours. You're like every single block is being sent down to Bitcoin. And that's the only source of truth for your for your chain versus. And that's similar to like a roll up on Ethereum that sends everything down to L1, right? Um, and it's not a perfect analogy, but with Babylon, I view that as like, you know, you're just taking, you're supplementing your own security with Bitcoin. Um, whereas eigenlayer restaking, like you could use eigenlayer restaking to supplement your security of a cosmos chain, right? You're not sending, you're not using Ethereum as, you know, a critical function of your, of your roll up or of your chain. Uh, but you are using it to secure your bridge your your oracle your you know even cosmos app chain um I do think that there's that's an interesting like distinction to, to bear because because we do view bitcoin and ethereum as the two you know main security providers um, and you can either use them you know in the big B sense right or you could just use the little b to to secure, to help, you know, add security to your chain. Um, So, yeah, I think that it's still very unclear, like how important this is going to be, how real it's going to be, how accepted it's going to be by the Bitcoin community. Um, But I love Babylon. I think Babylon's an awesome project. I think that like you are taking, you're not trying to change Bitcoin. You're just taking what's great about Bitcoin and using it to make something that, you know, is lacking that right in terms of the um, long-range attacks on POS chains to, to basically shrub sure that hole. Um, I think that that's perfect. I, I, I'm not quite sure just how much you know Ethereum is going to be able to like secure Cosmos chains through EigenLayer, but I do I do see that as being very real.
0: I agree, and I think the the sorry the point I was trying to to drive home there before is just that there's no there's the we're talking about big b bitcoin in the sense that it's bitcoin the network right and being able to read and write data onto big b bitcoin the network but then there's the little b bitcoin which is the the asset and i think a, a critical component that was kind of missing but is potentially interesting is a is a way to transport little b bitcoin into cosmos somehow yeah. aiden was kind of talking about this when he was describing the what's the name is that the alliance kind of no, Mike. No, Mike.
1: yeah yeah there's there's, there's- the trustless bridge?
0: Uh no, the way uh the way that you oh, might able I'm to...
1: sorry.
0: you're talking about Terra's Alliance. Terra's yes. alliance. Yeah, which is funny, right? But hear hear me out here. This is a huge long shot. But when he first described it to me, my initial reaction was, I'm not sure if you know Bitcoiners are gonna want to stake their Bitcoin and and get yield in, in other tokens. But you know, you have to remember that there were platforms like BlockFi, right, that were wildly popular. The 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 people that made BlockFi, the platform that it was, which is very successful for a long period of time, was the Bitcoiners, right? Who wanted to get yield on their Bitcoin. And look, it's you know, it's looking less and less like the the U.S. banking system is going to be a hospitable place for Bitcoin. People want to get yield on their assets. This could be if you could find a way to actually export a little bit Bitcoin into that eco into the Cosmos ecosystem. That could be a lot of distribution and users. You might find a larger percentage of the Bitcoiners than you think would be happy to stake it and get yield and do these things. And ordinals are another proof point that these aren't all, you know, Bitcoiners aren't all doomers that, you know, sit in their bunker, you know, with, with their shotgun and their canned soup. Like these, they love the NFTs. And um, I, I, th- I think it could be an interesting mashup for sure. No,
1: yeah, I think you could see Cosmos Chains secured by some portion of Bitcoin, some, or obviously some portion of their native staking token. And then the rest of their network is secured by Bitcoin, it's secured by Ethereum, and it's secured by all of the chains that they have very close economic ties with, right? And so you have like a NATO mess security sort of relationship with those chains, but you're also supplementing it with two very high market cap, low volatility, yeah, quote, low volatility assets in those two. Um, yeah, so I, I couldn't agree more. I think there's some interesting ideas raised in in the alliance um uh, concept. And I would also say that, you know, this is not the first time that Bitcoin has found itself in Cosmos. Um there was that whole, you know, LFG thing quite a while ago. That's um, true. That's true. Which did not necessarily help, but um this didn't one go great. The, didn't go yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> this one might be the one. <laughs>
0: well, you know what? You know what? Uh the reason why I also just love that Bitcoin episode was you just mentioned this, but Bitcoin is kind of the original app chain in a lot of ways. And yeah. that is very yeah. that is not generalized blockchain, uh, block space, right? That's very app-specific block space. There was an enormous amount- Very opinionated. Very opinionated on the design of that block space and the opinions what that were- that? Right, yeah, those very specific design choices actually made for app space with very, very attractive properties. So it's just cool, and it also it leads to a an interesting tension, which is, I Sunny kind of alluded to this, and he called it permissioning. But it is kind of interesting to have an app specific blockchain that is also permissionless. Those are sort of oxymoronic if you take a, take a deep look at it, because if it's permissionless, it means anything can anyone can build anything they anything they want. But the whole idea of app specific space is that you don't have NFTs and DeFi competing for the same block space. So it is that's a pretty interesting interesting tension frankly
1: I think I think we touched on it but I don't think it's I don't think we talked about this the so one thing I wish we talked about a little bit more this season because um, it is it is a little bit tough to get into um, you either make it express like explicitly permissioned where you say like only things that we accept you know like through whitelisting and governance are allowed to go uh, be deployed onto this chain or you can make it you know implicitly permissioned, Um, like we talked about quite a while, I think it was the first episode we talked about this, where you can make certain designs so that, you know, certain types of use of your gas, you know, of your block space incurs higher amounts of gas. So it just makes it, you know, incredibly unwelcome to use it for that purpose. Or like we saw with Bitcoin a long time ago, um, where basically it's saying, you know, the community will come down on you if you use it for anything other than this purpose. and so, you know, explicitly permissioned versus implicitly permissioned, I think that there's a thin line there. But I do think that like pure permissionlessness um, is at odds with these, with the concept of app chains.
0: Yeah. Well, I think this was, that, that ended up in, in Bitcoin, that was kind of like the OP wars, right? There's the OP return function. And that was actually taproot which was an upgrade that happened, which, which reduced the, uh, it increased the flexibility around sort of witness data on the blockchain that opened all of this up. Um, But that, that was like kind of an uneasy compromise is the way that I would kind of describe what, how Bitcoin landed on that. And uh, it's, it's unclear. It's unclear. I think it, I think it has to sort of play out. I actually heard there was, you know, I'm not sure if you know, John Adler, he's, he's great. He's one of the co-founders of Celestia and he's got the fuel fuel labs uh, kind of their EVM. But he was describing a, a talk that he gave. I didn't listen to the actual talk, but he was describing this talk and he gave it one of the DevCons about almost making changes in the same way that like regulators make make changes, like to try to tweak incentives in a system. And, you know, and you could describe,
1: you know, you could look at a lot of the different. Well, yeah. I think that that's where app chains want to go. Yeah. I don't think they want this whole white listing i agree I think that they want. i think that they would much prefer something that is more implicit like that agreed upon once by the community and so that everything else beyond it you know is is disincentivized or incentivized in that way yeah um yeah i, I think that that's one of the more interesting dynamics here
0: it's yeah. a cool analogy to use so yeah, yeah i think it, it was an enormously you know fun season i think we we dug into a bunch of really cool ideas and uh yeah, buddy. Thanks for thanks for doing this one. This was a fun one to have you as my co-pilot on. This was this was a blast. I had a blast. I had a blast. Yeah,
1: yeah. Thanks for listening to me ramble <laughs> uh, a whole bunch. Of stuff.
0: I'm. But, um, we 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 you know, we, we had a, a little Yeah, I enjoyed it at least.
1: <laughs> <laughs> me too, buddy. Me too. Some things sounded smart. Some things might sound dumb. That's yeah. Okay. Hey, we'll take it. If we got a
0: couple smart sounding things in there. Boom. That's good yeah. for me. Yeah. It's like golfing, right? When you hit a good drive. Only thing you You only need one good drive when you're playing golf. Keep it coming back. On the way Keep home, you're like, hey, you might have shot a hundred, but you're like, but that one drive, I really smoked it. So I think we had a couple good drives this, uh,
1: this season. Or two good putts. Yeah, it's okay. all cool. you need. all you need.
0: All right, partner. We can call it. That was awesome. This was. All right. Cheers, dude.